Hello and welcome to the Fingal Business Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Local Enterprise Office Fingal, one of 31 local enterprise offices around the country. Local Enterprise Office Fingal helps local business through a wide range of practical initiatives and programs. The Leo is your first stop shop for business supports. So whether you're just starting out or an established business, Local Enterprise Office Fingal is here to help. The aim of the Fingal Business Podcast is to share quality information for small business owner managers to enable you to be more effective in running a successful enterprise. My name is Sharon Rossignuolo, and in this series, I'll be chatting to prominent business owners in Fingal as they share their experience and advice on running a successful business. For this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Tom Kyo of Kyo's Crisps as he shares the fascinating story of how the brand came about how authentic marketing contributed to the rise of the business and their plans for the future as a growing international brand. Tom Kyo, you are very welcome to the Fingo Business Podcast. How are you this morning? I'm very good, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me on. Great. Well, look, we'll dive straight into it because Kyo's Crisps is such a success story here in Fingal. It's a family business that's been in operation for 200 years and Kyo's Crisps was born in 2011. So what inspired you to start Kyo's Crisps? I suppose the inception of Kyo's Crisps really came out of necessity. And there was a number of things happening at the time. If you take us back to around 2008, 2009, when you know the country was kind of slipping into quite a bad recession. And... We had seen a, a huge decline in potato sales and the decline in potato sales was, was actually not due to the recession. It was actually due to the affluence that people's diets were changing. They were traveling a lot, becoming more attuned to, you know, foreign cuisines. So the poor mm-hmm. old potato was kind of falling off the side of the plate right. nationally. So between 2002 and 2012, we had about a 50% decline in fresh potato consumption. And obviously here on the, on the family farm or family business, we had... A whole, a whole farming business, a lot of people employed, really focused on the potato. And uh, we had, I suppose, myself, my younger brother and my cousin, kind of a new generation about, about mm-hmm. to leave school and, and join a family business. And, you know, things weren't looking great. So really that kind of forced us to look outside the box. Back then, you know, when we started looking into this around, you know, 2007, 2008, you just had... It was a very interesting time in food because you just had this kind of start of this whole trend around premiumization, mm-hmm. whereby consumers were starting to buy into premium versions of quite standard products like a potato chip. And it had started really in the USA, had started in a small way in, in, in the UK. And you had these brands where people were going to the source. So going back to the farm, to the producer, Mm -hmm. and that farmer was producing the product on their actual farm, which was kind of unheard of at the time, and producing a really high quality product as a result, because we were using high quality ingredients and putting a lot of love and care and attention into the product. So we started to look at this, took a couple of years to investigate it, get all the, the, I suppose, the skills, machinery, et cetera, together. Mm -hmm. And... We launched the product in 2011 under the Kyo brand. And, and at the time, I think it was the first potato chip ever to be launched in the world where you had a potato and an actual potato chip side by side on the supermarket shelves. Brilliant, brilliant. And it's so interesting. You're, you just mentioned there the premiumization, which I've never heard before, but it just goes to show that 
the crisp market, I'm sure you would look at the shelves and see all the competition, uh, you know, a saturated market perhaps, but then you go down a particular niche and you choose to do it in a particular way and it, it works. It does. And it, I suppose it's, it's a trend that started way back then. And it's not just in potato crisps. Like if, if you if you look across food retailer shelves today, yes. really, there's kind of there's a low, medium and high tier version of, mm-hmm. of almost every food product out there is, is available on the shelf. And that whole premium section has really brought a lot of growth into most food categories over the last 10 years. And, and we see that to, to continue for a long time to come. Yes, absolutely. Brilliant, Tom. God, that's fascinating. Now, we, I suppose we'll call a spade a spade. There's a big difference between growing and selling potatoes and selling a consumer-ready product that retailers are willing to buy. What mm. were the skills you needed to develop and how did you go about doing that? Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> talk about jumping in the deep end, literally step off a tractor and, and start selling crisps. It was, I, I suppose it, there was massive challenges and if I knew then what I know now, would I have actually gone about it the way I did? Maybe not. But mm-hmm. listen, we were in a very good position. I suppose the first thing we had was an amazing knowledge and background in potatoes. We live and breed potatoes here yeah. and my family have for generations. And, you know, we were producing the best best potatoes in Ireland. And we think the Irish potato is the best potato in the world. So therefore, we were producing the best potatoes in the world. But that gave us a very, very good starting point from a raw material point of view. Yeah. When it came to the skills involved, I was very lucky in that before the crisp started, we'd been supplying potatoes to Superquin for probably been five years, five or six years. And I was managing the, the retail account with, with Superquin. So that was my first kind of experience of dealing with the retail at a high level. And to be fair to the guys in Superquin, they were extremely good at their job. They really were very passionate about supplier development. And I have to say that I probably learned a huge amount in those five or six years in dealing with the various buyers and people in in, in the retailers and kind of learning how retail worked. And on the flip side of that, then getting access directly to consumers and, and, and really getting into the consumer mindset and tailoring your products around that. So I think through the access to the Super Queen guys, that really brought us to a point where we were ready on the, on the retail management side of things. We built a factory here. And I have to say, I think growing up on a family farm and business, that kind of puts you in a great position. You know, you can take the welder out one day and, and have the spanner out the next. You know, yeah. we, we really do live and breed machinery and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, to be fair, if I had a choice every morning, I'd probably put on a set of overalls and go into the factory. You know, I'm really passionate about that side of things. Yeah. So the factory building and everything was something that kind of came naturally to us. The marketing side did pose a challenge, but I, you know, we found when we got into it, we had a, we had a, we had a bit of a flair for it naturally. And, you know, we, we were in a really good position because the assets that we'd developed as and we weren't aware of this, but at the time we had developed these massive assets as as a farming family here in North County, Dublin. And I remember the first time we actually went to brand our products here, like this is before the Kyo brand was ever developed. And, you know, we, we talked to a lot of kind of design agency about this. And the design agency that actually won and and in the end developed the Kyo brand was the guys that actually walked in the farm gate here and said to us after spending a morning on the farm, they said, guys, you, you're living a story. Yeah. All we need to do is tell your story and Brilliant. your story will sell your products. And that's really the approach we took around the whole marketing of the product. Now, as I suppose, as the business grew over the years, like my first business plan was to be at farmer's market selling crisps for three years. 
in actual fact, the business grew far quicker than that. And that posed huge challenges, I suppose, for myself personally to kind of run that business and try to keep ahead of it because we were growing at, at a quite a fast pace. So I did end up going back back to college. We I went back to college into Smurfit Business School. Mm-hmm. I did a diploma in, in global food. And then through Enterprise Ireland, I actually got access to a great program called Leadership for Growth. And that got me in with the guys in the ESA Business School in Barcelona, an amazing place. And I think I spent about, about a year doing various courses with them, really preparing businesses to keep ahead of growth and strategy, culture, etc. And I, I just found it to be absolutely fantastic. So I suppose it, it never stops. It never sleeps. The, the, the challenges that come at us every single day here, new challenges, which keeps us exciting, but we're always retraining. And it's not myself now. Now it's it's all about the team. It's all about the people here. You know, we've various people going to college, various people upskilling, et cetera. So it's it's a constant battle to try to keep ahead of the growth. Brilliant. But it's great, Tom. It sounds like you've really, you identified that and you identified it at an early stage. If I'm going to make this work, I need to stay ahead of the curve all the time and go into learning and training. And that can be tough. Like when the business is, is going well, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll muddle through as best I can. But fair play, it looks like it's paid off. Yeah, I, I remember I remember looking at a study, I think that was com- commissioned by Board Bia probably five or six years ago. And it was about really entrepreneurship in, in Ireland and especially food entrepreneurship. And I think one of the insights that came out of it was that the, the biggest limiting factor to business growth is actually the people that are running the business in that it'll reach a level because the people that are running the business have reached a level. So I suppose my goal here has always been to try to keep ahead of that. And then if I couldn't keep ahead of it, to make sure that I put the people in place that would actually keep ahead of it instead of me. Yeah. So long may it continue. Makes perfect sense, Tom. Um, so in terms of, I suppose, look, any business decision carries risk. And when you were starting out, can you talk us through feeling the fear and doing it anyway? Yeah, I think doing, doing it anyway is the, is the key. I, I suppose at the, at the core of all, so all that fear when starting out with a new business. And I remember, I actually remember signing that first check for a little fryer that we bought off an Amish community in Pennsylvania. And that it's 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 really taking the attitude it's it's better to try and fail than never to try at all mm-hmm. and i think that that kind of give it a go attitude was something that got the business up and running but it's also something that is probably part of the culture even today mm-hmm. and it really has drove a lot of innovation over the years from that initial signing of a check that give it a go attitude has has really drove innovation across the business really in every area right up to today. And it's brought a lot of new products, new flavors, new exciting things to the market. So that's really it. It's it's better to try and fail than ever to try it all. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not looking back, looking at what could have been. And can I just ask, what made you buy a fryer from the Amish community in Pennsylvania? Well, I, when, when doing the research, what we basically found was that the, the guys in the States, they were way ahead, so far ahead around this, all this kind of premium hand-cooked kettle chip. They were years ahead of anybody else in the world. And, you know, I, I did a lot of traveling, traveled around the world, really researching potato chips or crisps, as we call them here. And what, what I really came to the conclusion was that if we can keep this as simple as possible, it's going to taste absolutely amazing. Yeah. And yeah, in Pennsylvania there, there's, there's hundreds of chip companies over there. 
And again, they really bring it back to where it started, which was way back in the 1870s, literally with a, with a copper kettle over a fire yeah. and trying to replicate that as much as possible. So what we found was when we had this this knowledge around potato chip production mm-hmm. and our knowledge around potatoes and varieties and growing and dry matter and moistures and all, et cetera, et cetera, and varieties. And when you combine the two together, we actually end up with an amazing product. Brilliant, brilliant. My goodness. That we successfully export back into Pennsylvania today. <laughs> there you go. Networking and, and, you know, making those connections. It yeah. makes all the difference. Tom, what I'm really taking away from this, what you've said so far, the importance of learning, but also the importance of research and knowing your market. And, mm. you know, you knew potatoes needed to to know about the other side of things and, and went out and did that. Brilliant. So let's talk about digital marketing. What part has that played in making Kyo's Crisps brand a success? Well, digital marketing, I suppose in the, in the early days, you know, 2010, 11, 12, 13, really was kind of the inception of digital marketing. You know, you had the start of, of Facebook and Twitter. Yes. You know, the likes of Instagram and stuff like that. Definitely TikTok wasn't heard about. Nope. In, in a way, the, the kind of social media landscape there was, it was, it was quite open. Mm-hmm. And it was very easy for a brand like ours to get access to that and also communicate to it to a large number of people. And what we were trying to communicate was a very honest message. It was transparent. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of our competitors can't do that because, you know, a lot of brands are made up fictitious stories about this and that. Whereas we were a family growing potatoes, bringing them back to the farm here, putting them in the fire cook and then put this lovely seasoning from down the road on the bags yeah. and sending them out to supermarkets. And we could tell a story about that. And, you know, we could we could bring our phones in, stand in the middle of a potato field and say, these are our potatoes and then bring them to the factory, etc. So it was a very transparent, true story that resonated with consumers and social media as a format for communicating that really suited. Mm-hmm. So it, it stood us very, very well in the early days. Now, what has happened, I suppose, over the last 10 years has been that social media has just, has just become so cluttered. Yeah. It's just an endless scroll of adverts, messages. And in, in a way, like my opinion is that it's actually damaging to a brand to almost advertise on social media. So it's, it's extremely difficult to get cut through now like that. And I think if I was a, a new brand entering the market today, I'd find it hugely challenging, hugely challenging. So moving forward then, I suppose, with, with I suppose digital marketing and we launched our first e-commerce store in April of last year as the country moved into lockdown. Mm-hmm. And I suppose... It is going to continue to be important, but it's it's how we get that message across to a consumer. I have concerns around how we could get cut through to any of those social media channels. So there's there's definitely other other avenues there we intend to explore. But I know looking globally, some of the you know some of the global food brands, you know, they've, they've completely stepped back away from 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 social media. So you nice. need to be very very clever around digital marketing, and you need to be extremely clever about where you spend your money. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Not throwing good money after bad on something that is is cluttered. And um, what stands out to me, however, is the strength of your story and the part that that has played all through uh, and the authenticity of the products as well. So, you mm. know, despite where you might display that, it certainly sounds like that's been really important in playing its part as part of the, the brand of the success. So, Tom, 
back in those early days, I know you had the relationship with Super Quinn on the potato side of things, but how did you approach retailers about getting Kyo's crisps into shops? And do you remember your first big win? I do. Yeah, I, I suppose it, it followed a big period of disappointment because we, we, we started cooking crisps here and literally nobody would buy them. So, you know, every step you kind of have to reevaluate. But mm-hmm. I remember I presumed that because we had Kyo potatoes in, in the Super Quinn stores that the guys at Super Quinn would, you know, would, would love to list the products and put them on the shelves. And, and I remember going in very nervous to do a pitch to the buyers in Super Quinn. Yeah. And uh, they turned around and said no. And uh, I suppose that really put me on the back foot because, you know, it, it was a key part of the growth plan. And, you know, the, for weeks and weeks, we literally cooked I don't know, possibly a couple of bags a week here. It was, it was really, really small. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually remember, sounds quite simple, but it was probably the big break. I was actually in Superquin in Lucan, which at the time was the head office for, for, yes, for Superquin. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in a van and I was actually delivering a pallet of potatoes to the back door of the store because they'd run out of potatoes. Mm-hmm. And um, I was offloading the potatoes and who walks past only the crisp buyer. And uh, I remember he said, Tom, what are we going to do about these expensive crisps? Because at the time, for us to make this work, we were looking for a retail price that was considerably higher than anything else that was on the market at the time. Yeah. And um, we had done our financial calculations. It was what we needed in order to make the product viable. Of course. And that's why he said, what are we going to do about these expensive crisps? I remember just having a conversation with him and Eventually, we came to some level of agreement and he said, right, okay, we'll we'll get them in. And that was the first big break. And it was, I think it was the start of December. We got the product into the Superquin stores. I think it's about 22 stores at the time. Yeah. And lo and behold, I I learned that was the worst time you could ever consider even putting a new product into a store because nobody (laughs) wants to talk to you. It's Christmas, it's busy and nobody wants to hear about a new product. So we were pushing water up a hill for a long time, but right. uh, we st- we started to get traction early spring, and y- you know it was it was incredible. I think within I'd say about eight nine months of launch, on promotion, I think we were the we were the second biggest turning over product in Superquint stores on display ends, only second to Coca Cola. Wow. And it was incredible because at the time we launched with Superquin, there was no space on the shelves for Kyo's. Mm-hmm. So because, you know, we literally entered the most competitive food category in retail stores. Yeah. And what we had to do was we actually had to build wooden display stands in order to find some space for the product. And because I knew all the, the fruit and veg managers in the stores, the fruit and veg guys allowed me to put the stands beside our potatoes in the fresh section. Brilliant. So we actually had Kyo's crisps beside Kyo's potatoes on a little wooden stand. And there was great brand recognition there because mm-hmm. the consumers in a completely different mindset when they're in the fresh potato section. Seeing Kyo's potatoes and there was these beautiful Kyo's crisps packaged really well on a beautiful wooden stand right beside the potatoes. And that's what got us started. Brilliant, brilliant. Mm-hmm. And helping consumers to make that connection between the freshness of the potatoes with the crisps, you know, even feeding into the brand. Brilliant. A brilliant idea around the wooden stands. Yeah, well, okay, necessity again. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's all, you know, even here in 2021, the whole circular economy now, you want to be using pallets or whatever you have available. So you were ahead of the curve again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Well, we're, we're very lucky. We actually had a carpenter that lives quite near the farm here. And the same guy, you wouldn't believe it today, is almost full time 
employed creating wooden stands, in-store displays, etc. cetera, for, for us. Fantastic. Brilliant. Mm. Brilliant. So speaking of employment and employees, you now have 82 employees in Kyo's Crisps with a further 40 in the fresh potato business. What mm. has been your decision making process in relation to scaling the business? Well, I suppose it's, it's, it's always been to grow profitably and not necessarily profit comes on day one, but you like to make sure that profit's going to come eventually. And, you know, even, even today, a lot of those decisions really are made around export markets is where, you know, a, a lot of our growth is coming from at the yes. moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're going into a new market, you're not going to make money day one. It's going to be a long curve, but mm-hmm. uh, providing you can see light at the end of the tunnel and you've done good financial planning around it. Profitability, obviously, is is the key thing when making any decisions around scaling. Mm-hmm. I suppose when we started here in Ireland, you know, it, it wasn't really about winning market share from from another Irish business. Really, our goal was import substitution because at the time the Irish shells were actually had a considerable amount of potato crisps coming in from overseas, and that is considerably lower today because most of the crisps on the shelves today are actually produced in Ireland, which is fantastic. But import substitution had been a goal of ours, really. And, you know, it wasn't about about competing with Irish businesses or, God forbid, I'd hate for some other Irish business to lose employment because of us. Mm-hmm. It was all about trying to import substitute. And now today, most of the growth in our business, believe it or not, is actually coming from overseas. And it sounds like you had a big picture and it isn't just about looking in the small net of Ireland and who do I need to knock out of the market? It's much bigger than that. And there's place for everybody. Mm. Yeah, that's it. And, uh, you know, as part of those challenges way back in the mid 2000s around potato consumption, we had looked at the USA as a route for fresh potatoes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, the, the product was not allowed into the States. You know, today to be able to go back into America with a product that with open arms, they welcome in and, and, and tends to perform quite well. We've completely turned it around. Fantastic. Fantastic. So even if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Keep trying. Yeah, keep trying. Um, so, Tom, it's a large number of employees you have there. So how do you ensure your team share the Kyo's Crisps vision and are all pulling in the same direction to make it happen? Yeah, I suppose that that's that's key. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. absolutely crucial here. And there's a number of things to that. I suppose firstly, man, the vision. You know, everybody here needs to have good clarity of what we're trying to achieve. So you know, we have a good business strategy in place. We've got good plans. They're communicated around the senior team very mm-hmm. well, and then they're communicated across the business a couple of times a year. So it's very very important to have a good vision there, and people know where we're going and why we're going there. In relation to the people here. What we kind of identified was that there's an amazing culture here in the business. And, you know, that really is a roll up your sleeves, get the job done. Let's give it a go type of approach. And that comes from the family. Mm -hmm. And there's there's five family members here in the business out of a team of 120. And we kind of identified, you know, probably around two to three years ago that we needed to do something to try ingrain that culture into the business here Mm -hmm. and really what was the essence of that culture. So, you know, we, we, we did a huge amount of work around values and we made a lot of mistakes. You know, we, we launched company values two years ago that were quite complicated and and quite difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. We believe it or not, we've actually relaunched a new set of company values just only two months ago and they've been received extremely well, just four values Mm -hmm. and everybody signs up to it. 
and everybody understands it. And I suppose that they really are the pillars of what the culture in the business here is. And the feedback has been absolutely amazing. So I think when you're working shoulder to shoulder with people and you have some really, really good people in your business that are actually being, you know, good examples of how to live those values in all key areas around the business, it, mm-hmm. it, it really helps. And I think we're, we're, we're very lucky to get to where we are today with the team we had and you know, even to look at the difficulties we've encountered over the last 12 months with the COVID-19 and the pandemic, you know, the food industry was thankfully were in, in our area, we were on the right side of it in that mm-hmm. demand shot up. But, you know, to keep people coming into work every day, facing challenges, working mm-hmm. in close proximity with their colleagues, etc. Yep. You know, you needed a special kind of person to do that. And we had it here in spades. So it's definitely stood us extremely well over the last 12 months. Brilliant. And I, I really noticed there you mentioned about keeping it simple for values, you know, not complicated and communication, making sure that everyone is aware of that. So mm. while it's great to have the role models, it's not always enough. And um, so, Tom, what's next for Kills? What's next? Lots of lots of really good stuff coming up. We have after almost 70 years, well, 60 years, say we're actually going to open a, a new fresh potato pack house here on the farm. So it's quite a, quite a sizable move for us. Big investment. It's about 60,000 square foot. We're installing the machinery at the moment. And yeah, it's very, very exciting. A lot of new technology in there as well. We still pack potatoes today in an old shed that my granddad built to the end of the 1950s. So we're we're long overdue uh, a move. So that's, that's happening in September. We've just launched a new product, believe it or not, on Friday, yesterday, called Crispy Bits which is a fantastic little product of, of crushed crisps. Anytime we talk to consumers about our products, everybody tells us that they love those little bits of crisps that are left Happy. at the bottom of the bag. Yes, yeah. So we decided to make a bag full and the first shop starts to receive stock there yesterday. So feedback already has been quite good. And believe it or not, it's, it's very interesting because it, it, the product actually lends itself to a lot of trends that we've been encountering over the last year. So obviously, number one is with the pandemic and COVID-19, people do not want to be putting their hands in their product to eat it. So with yes. these products, you don't have to touch it. You can just actually pour it out of the bag. And also, I suppose with everybody today with this endless scroll on their phones, everybody's snacking with one hand and flicking through their phone on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And when you put your hand in a bag of crisps and you get these oily kind of seasoned bits back on your phone, nobody really likes that. So to be able to continue to scroll on your phone and actually pour a snack into your mouth at the same time was something that actually consumers asked for. So it's a, it's a nice innovative little product and just went out to market yesterday. So it'd be, it'd be great to see, to see how that goes. Lots of new flavors come to the market over the next 18 months or so. And Really exciting stuff happening overseas. We just opened a really good relationship with with Costco in the USA. Our first first products went out there in spring of this year. They've actually performed quite well. So uh, they're back in with more orders around key key seasonal periods this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that one develops. We're also really looking forward to getting the airline business back. Yes, of um, course. Because, you know, airlines were, were, were the first class Chris for Emirates and we're on a number of other airlines around the world. It was a, it was a key part for business. And obviously that that really stopped overnight there uh, back in April of 2020. So yes. we can see green shoots there. 
that's starting to come back bit by bit. So I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to, to, to getting that up and moving. And I know we had a lot of new business in the pipeline back this time last year with airlines. So it'd be nice to start those conversations again. Brilliant, brilliant. And yeah, God, it's it's a dream to think of being on a flight, eating my Kyo's crisps, I have to say, so we're all looking forward to that. <laughs> I know. I know the thoughts are getting away. It'd be absolutely fantastic. Exactly. Just a break after the amount of hard work that you've put in over the past year. My goodness, so many plans in the pipeline. So, Tom, if you were starting out again and could do one thing differently, what would it be? If I could do one thing differently, I think looking back now and in in November of this year, the Kyoto Crisp would be 10 years old. I think if I was to do one thing differently, I would probably say listen to myself a bit more. Right. Good uh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, after 10 years, there's kind of a lot of things you thought would happen or things you might have done differently, but you kind of second guessed your own approach actually may have played out the way you thought. And, you know, I probably would have listened to myself a bit more and maybe had a little bit more confidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. It has been such an inspirational conversation. I have learned so much, not just about Kyo's Chris, but just the general business and and what fed into it. And so much of that is what local enterprise office, you know, tells people and tries to support the confidence piece, the research, the training, etc. But it's great to see it have it all played out in one of the businesses that we're most proud of in Fingal. So Tom Kyo, thank you so much for coming to the Fingal Business Podcast. Sharon, you're so kind. Thank you for that. And thanks for the opportunity to, to, to speak with everybody. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode brought to you by Local Enterprise Office Fingal. For more information and to keep up to date with our services, check out www.localenterprise.ie forward slash Fingal and sign up to our newsletter. 